X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Friday, June 25th. Today, back in the day on June 25th, 1978, the original rainbow pride flags flew for the first time in San Francisco. Designed by Gilbert Baker, the new symbol made its debut at the San Francisco Gay Freedom Day Parade Celebration. Baker was an artist, activist, and veteran. He was challenged by friend and political leader Harvey Milk to create a new symbol to replace the pink triangle, which had been co-opted by the movement despite being used by the Nazis to designate homosexuals in concentration camps. The original flag consisted of eight horizontal stripes with specific meaning attached to each one. Starting on top, hot pink represented sex, then working its way down, red meant life, orange, healing, yellow, sunlight, green, nature, turquoise, magic and art, indigo, serenity, and violet meant spirit. The more common flag now features just six stripes since hot pink fabric was harder to find. Turquoise and indigo have been combined to make royal blue. Baker drew inspiration from the hippie movement of the late 60s and the flag of races popular within that movement. He also may have been influenced by gay icon Judy Garland and her song Over the Rainbow from The Wizard of Oz. Today, back in the day on June 25, 1950, North Korea invaded South Korea, kicking off the Korean War. The Korean Peninsula had been divided at the 38th parallel after World War II. Soviet-backed communist dictatorship of Kim Il-sung ruled the North, and the capitalist U.S.-backed regime of Syngman Rhee ruled the South. Each believed they were the rightful rulers of the peninsula. After securing the support of Soviet leader Joseph Stalin and Chinese leader Mao Zedong, Kim Il-sung launched the offensive. This forced the UN to counter with forces heavily backed by the US. More than 3 million people died in the conflict, many of them civilians. The bloody war would go on for three years before an armistice agreement was signed, which led to the creation of the demilitarized zone between the two countries. Technically, the two Koreas are still at war since a peace treaty was never signed. Today, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Alex Zielinski, news editor of the Portland Mercury. X-ray. First up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. On Wednesday, the city council approved a $250,000 settlement against a former Portland police officer. Robert Bruders was sued by another former PPB employee for repeatedly sexually harassing her and occasionally behaving violently towards her. According to the plaintiff named in court documents as P.L., Bruders had a habit of, quote, looking down her shirt and complimenting her blouse, sending her unsolicited text messages despite her never having given out her phone number and following her. P.L. said she reported his behavior to multiple supervisors, but was repeatedly ignored and even retaliated against. This is the second time Portland has settled a suit involving Bruders. In 2014, Bruders viciously beat Jason Cox after he had stopped Cox on suspicion of a possible DUI. Cox, who sued for lost earnings, pain, and medical expenses, later received a $526,000 settlement. The settlement marked the largest amount Portland has ever paid in a police brutality case. 
Bridgers was fired from his job as police officer in 2016, but was then immediately rehired as a background investigator on police applications. According to Jason Kofor, APL's attorney, quote, Bruders punches a guy seven times in the face and a Multnomah County jury gave the full amount to us because of how excessive the force was. He should have been fired immediately. Instead, they gave him back desk duty and he went on to sexually harass multiple employees. And now your daily dose of data. The OHA has begun tracking zip codes and counties in its vaccine metric dashboard. The dashboard ranks Oregon zip codes in order of how much of their population has been fully vaccinated, with the first zip code on the list representing the area with the most people still unvaccinated. Marion County residents with a zip code of 97301 are at the top of the dashboard, with 30,062 residents still unvaccinated. On the other end of the list are Clackamas County residents with a zip code 97267. In this area, only 14,507 residents remain unvaccinated. PGE will have crews on standby this weekend in case the heat wave leads to a power outage. According to PGE, officials are not anticipating a power outage, but say it could be a possibility given the massive increase in air conditioning in Portland homes. Current estimates predict that 70% of Portland housing has air conditioning, whereas 20 years ago, less than a quarter of Portlanders had an air conditioning unit. Andrea Platt, a PGE employee, says the increase in units means that Portland's power grid will have to work harder than normal this weekend, as Portlanders get ready for heat that will be well into triple digits. According to Platt, quote, the high temperatures are somewhat unusual for us. We know that extra strain on the system can cause extra stress on electrical equipment. X-Ray FM and the team here at the local would like listeners to know about Multnomah County Cooling Centers. Multnomah County will open cooling centers from 1 to 9 p.m. beginning Friday, June 25th and extend through at least Monday, June 28th, providing a cool place for people in need. Anyone that needs transportation assistance to get to a cooling center can dial 211. Find cooling centers at the Oregon Convention Center, located at 777 Northeast MLK, the Sunrise Center at 18901 East Burnside, and an Arbor Lodge at 1952 North Lombard inside the former pharmacy at Denver and North Lombard. Additional cooling centers may be added throughout the weekend. More information can be found at multco.us or by calling 211. Governor Kate Brown has commuted the prison sentences of 41 incarcerated people after they helped battle wildfires in 2020. According to Oregon Live, the 41 people had to satisfy specific requirements to first qualify for being part of the fire crew, including having a good conduct record for the prior 12 months, as well as arranging housing in preparation for their release. 23 people will be released on July 22nd, while the remaining 18 will have 12 months removed from their sentences. Liz Mara, Brown's press secretary, announced the commutations on Tuesday. According to Mara, quote, the governor recognizes that these adults in custody served our state in a time of crisis, and she believes they should be rewarded and acknowledged for their contribution to the historic firefighting response. On Wednesday, the Oregon Employment Department, or OED, released a list of jobs that Oregon employers have struggled most to fill. 
The list came as a response to a business journal survey, which found that 75% of respondents said they had more trouble hiring workers this year than in 2020. The OED dove deeper into this and discovered that over half of Oregon's job openings are categorized as difficult to fill. Many of these jobs have high turnover rates and require previous work experience, but they do tend to pay an average of $2 more per hour than other jobs that were considered easier to fill. The list, which consisted of 17 different jobs, included food prep workers, cashiers, registered nurses, and customer service employees. The OED did not explain why these jobs are hardest for employees to fill, employers to fill, but many workers have used the pandemic as an opportunity to explore new avenues of employment. Other employees, especially those that worked in customer-facing roles, felt especially vulnerable in the midst of COVID-19 and found their employers were unwilling to offer them hazard pay. Jessica Nelson, an economist at OED, said the list showed that with, quote, the constantly evolving business restrictions in 2020, along with worker availability that was limited by concerns over the virus in school and child care closures, employers may need to offer higher wages or other benefits to find the experienced candidates they are seeking. And finally, some good news. As Pride Month comes to an end, Laurelhurst Park will host one final event. Pride in the Park is happening this Saturday from 3 to 8 p.m., The event is being organized by Empower, a Portland CBD company that focuses on wellness. Pride in the Park will feature drag performances by the Egg Boy and Sex Ghost, as well as music from DJ Vamarcha and Portland native Olivia Klugman. There will also be food from Bob Elastic. Admission to the event is free, and event organizers say the first 50 attendees will be awarded with Empower sample prizes. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Just a month ago, the city of Portland announced new guidelines for clearing houseless encampments. Now City Commissioner Dan Ryan is proposing a new ordinance that would update those recently issued guidelines. So what exactly do those updates look like? Here with the latest on the story is news editor for the Portland Mercury, Alex Zielinski. Thanks for joining us again, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. Definitely. Just briefly, can you catch us up on the city's guidelines for clearing campsites yeah. uh, that was announced a month ago? Yeah, so a month ago, um, there was an update that came from the office that um, that oversees uh, homeless camp cleanups, and it was kind of in a you know um, a, a sign that the uh, precautions put forward during the COVID pandemic around um, uh, homeless camps were being lifted and things were kind of going back to, you know, quote unquote normal for what that looked like for um, campsites in, in Portland before the pandemic. And that, that meant that um, kind of the pace at which the city would be clearing and kind of destroying and taking down campsites um, would be more accelerated. They'd be kind of um, uh, addressing camps that had hazardous waste that were, um, you know, causing a lot of uh, kind of, you know, pathway, um, blocking paths and blocking sidewalks and, and traffic and, and taking down those um, campsites quicker than normal. Mm. Um, and then this week, um, Commissioner Dan Ryan's office proposed an ordinance that, that in some ways kind of 
upholds those. So, I mean, just to, to backpedal a little bit, the response okay. to that update um, from the public and from, uh, you know, House of Portlanders and kind of their advocates was um, was swift. I mean, uh, and, and uh, in opposition, you know, saying, hey, this pandemic is, is not necessarily over for a lot of folks. You still need to be um, courteous and, and careful and kind to, to folks who are living outside without many other options, especially um, especially without, you know, the city providing a ton of alternative shelters and alternative mm-hmm. places to be. Um, and, uh, and so now, in response, in some ways, the city, through Commissioner Dan Ryan's office, is is backpedaling a little bit and and trying to um, trying to explain it and trying to be a little bit softer with maybe what those uh, restrictions look like and and by doing so I mean this ordinance that's been proposed is kind of just explaining and detailing where people can be and not be expected to be you know removed from their campsite. Mm-hmm. Um, basically breaking it down, you know, if you're 150 feet away from uh, a school um, or, uh, or a child care facility, if you're 50 feet from a, from a city park or 10 feet from a residential building, basically these are, these are spaces where you, um, as a camper, shouldn't expect to be prioritized by the city for being removed from public property. Um, because the way that it operates right now, that the city kind of has a, um, a breakdown of, you know, how, how to prioritize different encampments based on um, the conditions of that camp, the number of complaints they've gotten about it, maybe the criminal activity coming out of it, um, where it's located. and But it, it seems a bit um, subjective to folks who are out there. You know, they, they, they don't really know exactly um, how... To, to avoid being having all their mm. um, their property removed and and swept, um, and so this ordinance kind of lays it out a little bit more clearly, and at the same time, um, it lays the groundwork for offering an alternative of where people can be. Um, one big request from folks who live outside right now is, you know, when um, the city says, "Hey, you can't, you can't be here," you can't camp here, you have to move somewhere else or go somewhere else, um, you know, those people, you know, often move to another area and then in a week or two, they get the same uh, same kind of warning from the city saying, hey, you can't be here, you have to move somewhere else. And so a right. lot of the time the question is, okay, where can I be um, if I don't have, um, you know, if I don't have a, a house, if I don't have a car, if I don't have a property where I, I can set up my camp. Um, the city's responding to that by creating, and right now in the process of creating, at least six different kind of sanctioned campsites mm. um, for uh, for houses Portlanders across the city, where you know th- their people will be allowed to legally camp and stay um, and not be threatened by um, by removal. And so this ordinance. In some ways, there's some mention within it saying, "Hey, if you, uh, if the city office that that goes and kind of informs, um, you know, unhoused Portlanders that they can't 
or can camp in a certain area, um, also let them know that there are going to be these new locations that they can they can move to. And those are expected to be um, opened, well, first identified and then opened by mm-hmm. the end of the year. Um, is there support for the new ordinance? Do we have any proposed timeline for its implementation, like overall, and um, particularly the, the safe rest villages? Yeah, um, there there is some tentative support. Um, the ordinance, I mean, I think people expected there to be more. People have been hearing about a, um, a ordinance on the horizon for a while mm-hmm. that was going to do something um, to to address concerns around the homeless camps and around, you know, the folks who are living in them, not knowing where they're supposed to be or how they're supposed to, you know, look out for their own, um, their own, uh, property and, and, Mm -hmm. and where they're located. But, and I think people were expecting more from what this is going to be. Um, in some ways this just kind of underscores a lot of the policies that are already in place. Um, but the fact that it kind of mentions, the the future options of these homeless um, or these uh, these encampments that are sanctioned for unhoused folks, um, I think is a lot of people kind of have you know tentative support for that. Okay. Um, knowing that there would be will be an alternative um, in place aside from you know just being arrested or being you know, virtually just moved around the city forever um, until, you know, someone finds some kind of affordable home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, it's important to point out that this comes at the same time that the state and federal um, moratorium on evictions is expected to lift. I mean, that that eviction moratorium will end at the end of this month, end of June, um, and there's there's expected to be an increase in um, in people who are without a home because of that by the mm-hmm. end of July. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, even though that's something that that the community and city leaders aren't wanting to see, um, these rules will probably impact those newly houseless folks as well. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that that ties everything all together. My next question was going to be, do you feel as though this ordinance is responding to any particular issues, events, or existing camps? And yes, the moratorium ending is going to have a huge impact. Are there any other events that may have happened or some things that happened with some of the the camps that may have also, you know, contributed to this uh, ordinance? Yeah, I mean, over the past, um, I mean, since, since the fall, I guess, uh, there has been a, a pretty consistent um, encampment alongside Laurelhurst Park in southeast Portland hmm. that has attracted a lot of pushback and opposition from neighbors and neighborhood groups in the area and homeowners who just say they, they don't like the sight of the um the tents in their neighborhood and uh, want some kind of solution from the city. Um, at the same time, people living in that uh, encampment, which is a bit on, it's on Southeast Oak. It's on the, the Southern side of the park. Um, 
you know, they say that they don't really have any other alternative uh, options that they haven't mm-hmm. been, um, they haven't been given the kind of supports they need to, to, uh, to legally be able to camp anywhere or to find affordable housing. Um, and so it's been kind of this standstill between, um, between the, the unhoused campers and between property owners and homeowners in that neighborhood. And the city's been right in the middle of it yeah. um, and expected to kind of figure it out. And, and I think in some ways this, uh, this statement and this ordinance is um, Commissioner Dan Ryan's way of saying, uh, hey, we're listening and we're trying to, uh, to address this in some kind of reasonable way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by creating, um, by creating an alternative place to be, I think that is a big solution. And that, that's something the city hasn't seen or really um, supported in, uh, in its history. The idea of a sanctioned place for unhoused people to be that isn't run by maybe a nonprofit or run by, you know, um, an organization that put together a cluster of tiny homes or, um, or something like, you know, Right to Dream Two. Um, this would be, you know, entirely allowed by the city and supported by the city, and, and that's something new. If X-ray listeners wanted to voice their opinions. What's the best way for them to go about that? Um, did you, sorry, I missed. If they want oh, to, if they, yeah, if they wanted to voice their opinions and get involved, what would be the best way for them to go about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so this is going to city council next Wednesday, um, and if anyone has a opinion or perspective on kind of what should be done, um, they can reach out to their to anyone on city council, specifically uh, Commissioner Dan Ryan, since he oversees um, the, the Joint Office of Homelessness for the city. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, at the same time, um, just getting informed and getting up to speed on what uh, what's happening right now for houseless Portlanders is, is important, and I direct you to the mercury <laughs> to, to read a little bit more about what's going on excellent thank you so much alex yeah thanks for having me thanks to alex for joining the local and a special thanks to our production team executive editor will romey supporting editors and writers john collier nebraska lucas joey mcclone brian miller carlos molina julia oppenheimer carly quadros miranda selinger and writer sherwood thanks for original journalism and research by the lund report oregon health authority covid19.healthdata.org the oregon historical society portland tribune portland business journal kgw the willamette week coin pamphlet media opb k2 the Oregonian, Statesman Journal, The Scanner, and News Partners, Portland Mercury, Street Roots, Bike Portland, and Eater Portland. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in just about 30 minutes. And thank you, Democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, right.